Hey, welcome to another episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. Today I got your regular news and gossip-ish. I also have a story talking about what Kofi Mania meant to me in honor of Kofi Kingston's birthday that was that just happened this past week. And I have your weekly recap of all the shows that you like to watch with Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If this isn't your first time listening, thank you for joining me on this ride, and I hope to give you a safe place to listen to what's going on in the crazy and amazing world of professional wrestling. Stay tuned. Here comes your news and gossip-ish. Okay, so I'm here with your news and gossip-ish, and we have to start with some sad news. Um, I just want to send thoughts and prayers out to the family of James Harris, who was better known professionally in the wrestling world as Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Um, He passed away last Sunday at the age of 70 due to complications due to his diabetes, which he had been struggling with for a very long time. Um, He was seen as a legend in the the independent wrestling circuit and also in WWE during the 80s and 90s. And of course, the character of Kamala was seen as sort of an African savage, which we know would not fly um, in this day and age. But back then, he did the best he could with what he had at that point. And he still opened the doors for many African and African-American wrestlers that we see today. And my thoughts and prayers go out to his family at this difficult um, time. And I hope that he has peace wherever he is. Also in the news, we have some implication as to what's going on with the location of SummerSlam, which is taking place next Sunday on the WWE Network. There are a bunch of trucks um, that were parked outside of the Amway Center, I believe, that's in um, Florida. And the rumor is, is that this is where all of the events for WWE will take place um, from here on out. And considering they've been having all of their performances, even WrestleMania and Raw, SmackDown and NXT in the Performance Center, um, since the pandemic has started, they're starting to move away from that and possibly move to a bigger arena that that's actually better off, I guess, or better tailored towards an event like SummerSlam, which is probably the third biggest pay-per-view that they have next to WrestleMania being number one, Royal Rumble being number two, and then Survivor Series being number four. So basically, that's what the rumor is. There's no word yet on whether or not they haven't fully officially announced it yet, but they may announce it this week. Um, And there's no word exactly on where NXT TakeOver 30 is going to be because that's also going to take place this weekend too. So who even truly knows at this point? We're just sort of waiting. But this is just hearsay, so we're just going to wait and see. Also in the news, we have um, former WWE Women's Tag Team Champion Peyton Royce and how she was able to win two trophies in her very first fitness competition that she prepared for within the span of a couple of only three weeks. Um, she was preparing for a fitness competition and you could see her preparation on her YouTube channel called Cassie versus, and she was able to take home two trophies for second and third place. And she was flanked by her best friend in real life, Billy Kay and her husband, Sean Spears, who was formerly known as Ty Dillinger to WWE, the perfect 10. So we send a special congratulations out to her for that. Um, and that's really all that's going on with your news and gossipish. And now I'm going to go to wrestling fan story time, where I'm going to discuss the importance of Kofi mania to me, um, in celebration of Kofi's birthday, which just passed this week. So stay tuned. So in this special segment of Wrestling Fan Storytime, I'm going to discuss Kofi Kingston and his career and what it has meant for my life and also celebrating his Kofi Mania win from last year and what it means to me now. Um, As a fan towards this time, it was like around 2008, 2009 was when I first saw Kofi Kingston and he 
was I thought, you know, who is this sweet, smiling, cute black guy on TV right now? And, you know, he came on and he did his debut and I just thought he was really amazing. And I thought he moved with a whole lot of quickness and I just thought he was really cool. And I just loved his smile and I loved how he was always coming out with brighter colors and everything. And it was just like, man, like, okay. <laughs> and it's just, I always loved him. And then around the time, actually, when me and my father would watch Kofi Kingston together, I would love him, you know, wholeheartedly. And my dad would sort of make fun of him because he would always wear brighter colors because my dad is not a bright colors person. And he was just like, oh, my God, he's always wearing these bright colors. I don't like this. Blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> so literally watching him grow as a performer, you know, was nothing short of amazing. And I was actually able to see him live at WrestleMania 27 in Atlanta, um, which is the mania everybody likes to crap on, but it's whatever because I still went to a WrestleMania, so forget y'all. Um, and it's just being able to sort of see him live, you know, just exposed me a whole lot more to his talent and everything he had to offer. And he was able to win so many championships, so many tag team championships with Evan Bourne, R-Truth, CM Punk. He was able to win a United States title. He was able to win the, um, the Intercontinental title. And then there was a point where he was just kind of, you know, um, near the 2010s where he was just kind of floating about and then he connected with Xavier Woods and Biggie, and then they became um, collectively known as the New Day. And everybody sort of thought around this time that they were going to create like a new nation of domination because they were dressed in suits, being really serious, staring at people's matches and all of that. And everybody thought they were going to be the new nation of domination and all this other stuff. But that wound up not happening and they wound up being, you know, the new day and they were kind of like preachers and everything but nobody really liked them and everybody was booing them so they kind of just you know were like heels to a certain extent and then somehow or another I think due to their presence online and due to everything that they were contributing to the characters you know from their actual lives they began to endear themselves to the WWE universe and they became bigger than we imagined and they started winning all kinds of tag team titles because you know of course they're the eight time tag team champions and it was just amazing to see you know their run and everything that they've been able to do with the new day in terms of xavier woods's channel up up down down and um everything that Big E is currently doing now and how his career you know and what it did for his career because for a second you know him he was just sort of trying to figure out what his niche was because after his run with Dolph Ziggler and AJ Lee, it was just sort of like he was kind of by himself for a while, even though he had won the Intercontinental title and he had previously won the NXT title before he got called up. And I believe in the midst of all of the, you know, hoopla, you know, about the New Day and everything they've been able to do, merchandise and all the fun stuff they've been able to do, um... There were rumblings of the idea that they were sort of pushing for Kofi Kingston to become WWE champion because he had never done it before. And, you know, the first time I heard this backstage, they were in an interview backstage and I didn't think that it could actually happen because in my mind, I'm just like, you know, that would be cool. You know, like in my mind, I'm like, that would be amazing. But at the same time, I'm just like, will they actually let that happen? Because he had been a good worker for so very long that you just it wasn't you kind of just never saw him as the champion because they were always putting the belts on people like Brock Lesnar over and over again or somebody like Randy Orton or somebody like AJ Styles over and over again. So it was just kind of like, well. Or, or John Cena. But, and even when they threw a loop and gave it to Jinder Mahal, it's just like, you always saw them giving it to, like, the really big dude. Or, in a specific case, more often than not, the really big white dude. And you just never thought you would ever see that happen. So, you can only imagine my surprise when 
Kofi Kingston wound up taking Mustafa Ali's place in the Elimination Chamber match um, that time. And, and, and it was just like he was getting so close to qualifying to have an opportunity to possibly win the World Heavyweight Champion, the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, that it was just becoming more so of a groundswell of support from the fans. Like, okay, if y'all are really going for this, let's go for this. And even when he came up short in that match, you saw the New Day sort of rallying behind him and becoming, you know, his backbone and sort of like his support system in the idea that he was going for this thing and he was trying but they were still supporting him regardless and you saw that there was a brotherhood there and not a an opportunity for a backstabbing moment and that was where I realized that this wasn't over so you see this storyline take place where he's being offered these opportunities but then having it snatched away from him and getting beat up in these um handicap matches with cesaro and sheamus and stuff and you have vince mcmahon sort of being the foil in all of this because he, they're insinuating the fact that a person like him couldn't be champion kind of like a rework of the daniel bryan storyline from um, the build-up to WrestleMania 30, except this time there's a deeper layer to it in the sense that somebody like him, in the sense, not just a B-plus player, but a black guy couldn't be champion or an African, a guy of African descent couldn't be champion ever. And he started fighting through that glass ceiling over and over again, metaphorically in on television and in real life as well. And it was a wonderful story to tell because in real life, how many times have we as African-Americans and as people born of African descent or any other person of color had to fight through an actual glass ceiling that people have put up because there's only so high you can go until, you know, you reach a point and then they just want you to stop right there. No, we deserve to go for it all because we're just as awesome, not be not you know, we're just as awesome and you can't just underestimate us simply because of the fact that we're of a different kind. And Kofi Kingston embodied that role so well. And in this role, you were able to see him rise even further as a singles competitor. And you were able to fully appreciate his ability as a wrestler and fully appreciate his promo work because this was some of the best promo work he had done in so long. And he was speaking passionately from a deep place. And once he finally got that opportunity to fight Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania for that title, it was sailing after that. And I remember this weekend I was on pins and needles. <laughs> WrestleMania weekend I was on pins and needles, but I was praying and hoping that Kofi Kingston was going to come out with the win because it was just going to be bigger than life. And it was going to mean the world to me. And I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes. But um, Kofi... When he started, he started with the Jamaican gimmick. Like, he was from Kingston, Jamaica. And then eventually, you know, he wound up dropping that accent. And really, he was... And then after that, he was being built from Ghana, West Africa. He was born in the Asante region. And the reason why I know this is because I actually had the privilege of visiting Ghana, West Africa in 2014 for a study abroad trip. And I was there for a month. And it was one of the most life-changing trips I had ever taken in my life. And um, I definitely recommend it to anybody who has that passion for their ancestry in terms of their Africanness. And I recommend that you go there and just visit really any country um, in Africa if that's what what your heart is telling you to do because what it does is that it boosts your self-esteem and it gives you hope and love that you never really you know thought was possible and I actually visited the region in which Kofi Kingston was born but his parents of course moved to the United States and he was and he was raised mostly in Boston Massachusetts and so this so Kofi wasn't just doing this just for African-Americans. He was doing this for his native his native country of Ghana. And I knew it was going to mean the world to them because I had actually visited that and talked to those people and congregated with them, worshipped with them, all of the above. So it meant the world to me on that level, too. So 
I'm watching this match over my boyfriend's house and we're watching this match take place and every moment that it looked like Kofi was about to lose I almost lost my breath I couldn't breathe <laughs> throughout this whole match every moment where it felt like he had the momentum against Daniel Bryan I was yelling and cheering and it was just too much for me <laughs> it was just this was one of the most nerve-wracking things I'd ever seen in my entire life but when Kofi was able to when he was stomping on Daniel Bryan's head and then he was able to, you know, will himself to do the trouble in paradise. And he got the one, two, three as um, Xavier and Biggie were cheering for him, you know, and you could hear Xavier saying, give him what he deserves, Kofi, give him what he deserves. And Biggie kept saying, it's your time. It's your time. You know, I felt it and I just felt it swelling in my soul. And then the minute it went one, two, three three and the crowd erupted I yelled and jumped up in the air because I believe my boyfriend's best friend that was there too I jumped in the air and screamed like I don't even know like it was ungodly but I screamed and I hit the floor I was on my knees and I was in a, a weird prayer bow position and I was just like yes 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 i was crying i was crying i was like oh my god Kobe. Oh! like I was, he won he won like that's all that could come out of my mouth i was just so happy and then i sat back on the couch on my boyfriend's legs and eventually i had to sit in his lap to, so he could console me because Kofi had just won that match and he had won that title and I didn't really fully start bawling until I saw um, Xavier and Biggie walk over to the title belt and they had taken the recyclable title off and revealed the title that Kofi was supposed to be getting, which is the original one with his name on it. And I looked and I saw Xavier's face crying and I saw my and, and after I saw his face, I just started the waterworks just came out of me like me and Xavier shared the same birthday. I guess it was a Virgo connection. I was crying so hard and <laughs> Kofi was crying. He held up the title. They held up Kofi on his shoulders. Biggie was just looking happy. Xavier was still crying and I'm still crying. The fireworks was going off. Byron Saxon was giving the greatest call of his career. It was too much <laughs> it was absolutely too much for me I'm crying I called my dad I was like dang Kofi won it was just too much I'm just crying and it was just like wow like they really let him they really want like he really won this match it was one of the most beautiful moments of my entire life and for better or for worse you can talk about how the reign his championship reign ended but I don't care about that because last year, if you had told me at the beginning of last year, or even near 2018, that Kofi Kingston was going to have the greatest run um, ever towards the WWE championship, I probably would just look at you and be like, huh? <laughs> but that reign, what that reign did for african-american wrestlers what it did for african-american fans it validated our love for wrestling and it made us feel seen it made us feel heard and to watch a black man work that hard for 11 years as he kept saying you know throughout the run to get to that top point and knock that glass ceiling the f off just meant the absolute world to us it meant the world to me like it meant the world you know to Ghana, West Africa, to look at the videos that he posted of his family in Ghana, watching it and screaming and, you know, watching him being able to go to Ghana and, you know, be with those children in those villages and, you know, in those schools and everything and have them touch the title and see the Ghanaian president, you know, you know, make it all official and everything. It just meant the world to me because it's just, it's just like I said, I had visited there and then it meant the world to me because as a black woman to see someone rise that high just means the world to me and I know now we have our discussions about what wrestling promotions as a whole can do better for its African-American talent it's just 
we have to cherish the moments that we have um, when our wrestlers do succeed, whether it be just winning a match that's non-title or winning a title match or even just getting a contendership. Not just saying we should just take, you know, what we're given and just, you know, deal with that. But I'm just saying, let's just celebrate the moments that they do have, you know, and not just, you know, focus so much on the negative all the time. Of course, hold people accountable. Definitely always hold promotions accountable for how they're treating their talent. Because as you can see, we're still having issues, even with the hashtag Naomi deserves better and all this other, all the other things that happen in other promotions, even in AEW and stuff like that. But we have to take time to celebrate how far we've come um because you have people like ron simmons you know who made history in his own right and rocky johnson's and you have the jacquelines and you have um jazzes and then you have kamala you have all these people who and sweet georgia browns who've opened the doors for for where we are now and we've come so far and there's still so much farther to go but kofi and Kofi Mania, they did that. And it would not have meant as much if Kofi had not worked as hard and followed his dreams to do what he came there to do, which was slay dragons and do everything he was supposed to do and everything he wanted to do as a professional wrestler. And I can only hope and pray that they treat Big E the same way. Um... Kofi's reign only made it easier for Big E to have his run and to basically to and to basically rise as the locker room leader he can be in terms of a character on SmackDown even now. And I am so grateful that Kofi Mania happened because aside from all the t-shirts, Kofi Kingston, Kofi Sarkodie Mensa is a king. And um Nothing will ever take that away, no matter how he loses a title, how he lost that title. Nothing will ever take that away. He is a golden man. He is a golden king. I'll never forget the time I actually waved at him at the last SmackDown that came to Birmingham. And I said, I love you. And he actually, you know, pointed to his heart and said, I love you, too. Like, he deserves every good thing. The New Day deserves every good thing. And I hope Xavier gets well and Kofi gets well. And I hope that Big E can rise to the same occasion that Kofi did. And that's just how I feel about Kofi Mania. I hope he had a really great birthday. Um, <laughs> and I just hope that every African and African-American wrestler can continue to crack at, to break the ceilings wherever they are and rise to whatever occasion that they find themselves at. And that's the end of this story time. Okay, so we're going to talk about what happened on Raw this past Monday. Um, there's a lot of setup going into what's going to go on at SummerSlam. So basically, we're going to start with the women. The first women's match that we saw was Bianca Belair versus Zelina Vega. And Bianca is basically coming for Zelina's head because... Um, they've been going with this feud ever since Montez Ford got poisoned in his drink. And literally since the Street Profits have been in a feud with Angel and Andrade for the tag team titles, Bianca basically deduced that she was, that Zelina was the one who poisoned him. So she's been basically getting ready to beat her behind or beating her behind, you know, successfully. Cause she actually went to Zelina's house while she was on a Twitch live and beat her up. So they decided to get in a match. And before the match with um, Angelo Dawkins and Andrade took place, Zelina Vega, you know, cut, cut a promo talking about how she knew that she wasn't the one who poisoned him. But she basically said that she that unlike Bianca, she doesn't thrive off of her man's success. She creates it. And I thought that was a really good line. I was like, oh, that was hmm. Y'all, let's just appreciate Zelina Vega while she's here. Let's let's appreciate her jewels that she gives us while she's here. Um, so in this match, Zelina Vega was able to fully show 
her quickness and her ingenuity and her ring psychology. And I was really happy to see her, you know, fight more. And sometimes I really feel like if Zelina Vega, you know, was less of a manager and more of a wrestler, she could probably go to distance. Like, I really feel like at some point she could be a, a women's champion, but you just never know because she's so passionate about her manager job. So you just never know what could happen with that. But to think that someone as small as she was was actually able to hold her own against someone as dominant and as strong as Bianca Belair was absolutely amazing. So Belair, of course, gave a power bomb, which also set up her KOD, which is hard, um, <laughs> for a dominant win. And then Charlie Caruso um, interviewed Belair and Dawkins, you know, after Dawkins had fought and beat Andrade by pinfall. And the EST basically said that if Zelina, you know, wanted, you know, would basically, she said she would beat her up. I'm sorry, y'all, I'm stumbling. If she had, she basically said that if she wanted to step to her again, she would beat her up again because, you know, she's the EST. And then Dawkins promised, promised that Montez would be recovered and back for SummerSlam for their tag team match. So there was that. And also with the women, you had Liv Morgan versus Peyton Royce. This match was relatively short, and I kind of hated that because I felt like it could have gone a little bit longer. Um, there's really not that much to say about it. It's kind of sad. But um, Peyton Royce beat Morgan because um, Billy Kay distracted Liv. So that's all that really happened with that then we also had another women's match between bailey and oscar and basically if oscar was going to win this match against bailey then she would have her chance to fight sasha banks for the raw women's title and this was a really stellar match between the two because literally okay around this time this was also the lights were going out because of the retribution thing but whatever um sasha kept trying to distract the referee to help her best friend win or whatever and then she took cheap cheap shots at oscar whenever she could and something that bailey kept doing which i thought was really smart was that she kept targeting oscar's legs and stuff because she uses because she uses her submissions so much with her legs and also her arms so it was really smart of bailey to try to do that but um there was also a point where bailey um was mocking Kyrie saying um and then that lit a fire under oscar so after that point oscar basically just wrecked her and locked her in the oscar lock and then bailey tapped out so much to the chagrin of sasha oscar now has the opportunity for her raw women's title so that was pretty interesting but then also with the women you had Shayna baszler making an impact on raw underground and beating up girls who was trying to step to her now these girls were kind of like we didn't know who they were but whoever they were they got their butt kicked in raw underground by her and it was really cool to see her do that because i was always wondering you know if there was any fighter who was going to go in raw underground it definitely should be her who has an mma background who is rough and tumble like she is so that was really cool to see so that's really all that happened with the women but the women had an amazing presence like they've had amazing presences going on on raw and smackdown too but i'll talk about smackdown later but it was cool to see so with the men the show started with a contract signing between seth rollins and dominic mysterio and samojo was basically serving as a mediator towards it um seth rollins called dominic a coward and it made Samoa Joe really angry. And he called out Seth Rollins for turning against the fans, you know, on a whim. But then the, but then the Messiah was talking about how basically the only reason he turned against the fans was because the fans turned against him. Which is true. Because last year, with that Hell in a Cell match between him and The Fiend, everybody turned against him. And it was really bad. So, he's been trying to sort of redeem himself ever since. So... Um, Seth turned to Dominic and said that he should be grateful and he gave him the opportunity to agree to an extreme rules match as he would never last in a true wrestling match between him. But then after that, you know, Dominic signed the contract, you know, to make him an actual WWE superstar and for the match. And he stuck and he basically like stuck around 
for the match that Seth was having with Umberto Carrillo, who I guess now is just a jobber at this point, which is kind of sad, but I mean, they haven't really given him that much of a character to really care that much about. So it's sad. So he gave Seth Rollins gave Humberto Carrillo a super kick and then a pow and a power bomb and a curb stomp. But then Murphy attacked Dominic and then they both trapped Dominic in the ropes and in a very stunning move took those kendo sticks that Dominic had been using over the past couple of weeks to beat them up with and they beat him forwards and backwards in the ring and left bruises all over his body it was really bad and I really feel like even though they were using kendo sticks this is another proof this is better proof of the fact that yo wrestling's not fake you know so to anybody who says wrestling is fake hush and let us enjoy good things anyway um and like I said earlier Angelo Dawkins fought um El Idolo Andrade and came out victorious so he they now have the momentum going forward in their tag team match and then Apollo Crews fought Shelton Benjamin and then MVP you know was calling out Apollo Crews on his VIP lounge and he demanded an admission that he caused the lights to flicker so he lost his United States championship which he didn't technically have but whatever um then Apollo rushed to the ring and fought off the hurt business and then set up a match with Shelton Benjamin and then Bobby Lashley was a was distracting Apollo Crews and allowed Benjamin to get a surprise roll up for a win and then and then Bobby Lashley wanted to go up there and put Apollo Crews in a full Nelson but then MVP stopped him but he wanted to keep Crews ready for SummerSlam so now they're gonna fight and that's pretty much all that happened in that segment um it's kind of sad to see the Hurt Business without all the gold anymore because at first they looked kind of dominant and now they're just but they still do look dominant though after that whole run they had on the first episode of Raw Underground so that's gonna be interesting to look at and we had the Viking Raiders in a match with Ricochet and Cedric Alexander versus Akira Tozawa and all his ninjas. And this was kind of a nothing match. I don't want to say that. I don't really want to say that, but that, that match was kind of a nothing match. But um, Alex, Cedric Alexander, Ricochet, and the Viking Raiders wound up winning. So... um. Yeah, <laughs> I feel so bad saying that. Um, then Riddick Moss, Arturo Ruas made their appearance on Raw Underground, and that was pretty cool. Um, I feel like the sky's the limit with what they can do with Raw Underground, so it's still too early for me to really say whether or not this was bad or good. But I still, but I still feel like the best part of that whole Raw Underground segment was Shayna Baszler, so that was cool. And then Randy Orton versus Kevin Owens happened. And this match was pretty good. You know, you had two of probably the best workhorse thoroughbreds, you know, in the match together. And it was really good. But after the match was over, it was pretty telling um, what happened because Ric Flair was, you know, trying to celebrate with Randy Orton. But as they were talking to each other it seemed like randy orton didn't want you know rick flair there anymore but in a very stunning turn of events you had rick flair talking about how much it meant to him to watch his um his sort of wrestling children succeed you know with charlotte and randy and triple h and stuff like that to watch them succeed and fight and all of that because he can't fight anymore and he was talking about what it meant meant to him as a person who was almost knocking on death's door um two years ago and you know he was talking about how much it would mean to him to watch randy orton beat drew mcintyre for his 15th or 16th maybe i don't know um world title and after they hugged each other randy orton proceeded to attack him and hit him with a low blow and then he punt kicked him you know, and whispered a final farewell to him as the lights flickered out yet again. And 
then Drew McIntyre kept ran out there and then producers and referees ran out there to assist Ric Flair. And as Ric Flair kept saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. As he came to, Drew McIntyre was visibly pissed off and told and kept calling him an SOB and that he was going to beat him up at SummerSlam and all the other stuff. So that's pretty much everything that happened on Raw. But I will say this, though, Ric Flair gave one of the best performances of his career with that promo and it was very heartfelt and and it almost made me very choked up because around that time in which he was about he was you know dealing with his health issues it was really scary you know to have to hear about and honestly if it had went the other way it would have been very painful you know for all of us as wrestling fans but I'm really glad that Ric Flair recovered and he was able to kick out it too and we're able to see more of him and to see more of him enjoying his retirement life and, you know, being the backbone of other wrestling superstars. And honestly, it also means the world to me because if he had not have recovered, me and Ric Flair would not have met at Comic-Con last year. So, um, yeah, that's all that happened on Raw. And now we're going to go to NXT. Okay, so now we're going to go to NXT. In terms of the women, um, Mia Yim and Indy Hartwell had a pretty good um, match. But then before that, Dakota Kai um, had a pre-tape interview in which she knew exactly what it took, saying that she knew exactly what it took to defeat Io Shirai at TakeOver 30 for the NXT Women's title. Still, Still notably absent is Raquel Gonzalez. I don't know where she is. I don't know where she's been. But Mia was explaining that she needed to focus on her match rather than the attack that happened on Keith Lee, which I'll discuss later. Um, Indy Hartwell took advantage of Mia Yim in her emotion, you know, in her emotional confusion. But um, Hartwell also attempted to trap Yim in a sleeper hole, but then she got thrown off repeatedly. And she kept, there was a thing in which she was taunting Mia Yim by saying, bask in my glory. And this made Mia Yim like pop off. And it was really cool. And then she twisted Hartwell into a head scissors arm wrench and Hartwell tapped out. Now, I think it's cool that Indy Hartwell is getting more opportunities, you know, to show, you know, more of her prowess. And she will do fine as she's rising. But it was good that Mia Yim was able to win this match, even as she was distracted with Keith Lee's condition. That's her boo thing. So it was good to see that happen. And I was glad that Mia won because I feel like she should just be winning more matches because she's awesome. And her name is Stephanie in real life. But any, anyway, <laughs> so also with the women, you had a tag team match between Mercedes Martinez and Aaliyah of the Robert Stone brand versus Casey Canzaro and Caden Carter. And something that I found really impressive about this match was just the synergy that Casey and Caden had. Um, they had matching outfits, which I thought was really cute, but also at the same time, you saw them utilizing their high flying ability a whole lot more. And it was really cool because, um, of course, Casey started as an American Ninja Warrior and she's been training, you know, to get better and to see them and their synergy with all their high kicks and all their flips, you know, that they've clearly been practicing together. It was really cool to see them fight and give Aaliyah what for. Now, Mercedes Martinez, on the other hand, wasn't having it because she's just a powerhouse. And of course, she was able to get the win over them. And it was just sad because Casey Catanzaro was trying so hard as an unstoppable force. But um, Casey wound up taking the air raid crash um, in order to lose the match. But then after the match, Rhea Ripley came out there um, despite the two-on-one odds with Mercedes and Aaliyah because, of course, Mercedes and Rhea have problems with each other because Mercedes interfered in Rhea's match to qualify to be the number one contender for the NXT Women's title. But then as she was getting attacked, Shotzi Blackheart came out to, to take... Aaliyah out and they got some revenge on them both so I guess now Rhea Ripley has a new ally in the green-haired warrior so that was cool so that's really all that happened with the women outside of Candice LeRae talking about how she was just tired of everything in her little segment with Johnny Gargano so who knows what else they have you know in store with life 
Um, <laughs> so the show initially started in terms of the men with Karrion Cross versus Danny Burch. Danny Burch was seeking revenge against um, Karrion Cross for his attack on him. And Karrion Cross, you would have thought that Karrion Cross would have dominated, you know, this match. But as it turned, well, as it turns out, Danny Burch put up a pretty good fight in the first few minutes. But um, the Herald of Doomsday choked out Danny Burch with a cross jacket and he wound up tapping out. But Keith Lee stomped to the ring after the match was over and he had a contract in his hand and he demanded that Karrion Cross agree to their match at TakeOver for the NXT title. So after he signed it, Scarlett handed the mat handed the the contract back to Keith Lee. And he opened the contract and he got blinded by a fireball. So he got fire in his eyes. And it was just really it happened so quick that you just kind of wonder what happened and it was just like whoa and then you just saw him reacting to you know him getting burned and he was yelling and and almost seemed like he was on the verge of crying it was bad and as he was yelling in pain Karrion and Scarlett were just looking on like yeah we got you and it was really creepy but you know that's what they like to do then Killian Dane and Drake Maverick fought and despite his size, you know, he got the upper hand with a connect and he connected with a diving elbow drop. But before he could take the pinfall, the Undisputed Era stormed the ring and attacked the both of them to make a statement. So after they attacked them, Adam Cole um, hit the last shot on the Beast of Belfast and he grabbed the microphone. And he called out Pat McAfee and he told the and he told him that he wouldn't last in Adam Cole's world and he called him a pretend wrestler and it was interesting that that happened so now they're beefing up their entire feud so they can get ready to fight and it's pretty interesting seeing as how Pat McAfee attacked Adam Cole and punted him in his chest or head um (laughs) um when they were interacting with each other so this is going to be really interesting and I hope Pat McAfee loses I think this is probably the first time I'm ever rooting for Adam Cole in a match because quite frankly, sometimes I just, Adam, it's just when Adam Cole was champion, he was a good champion, but he just irritated me sometimes because he was always cheating. But I want him to beat Pat McAfee because Pat McAfee just seems like a loud mouth person who just tries really hard to make it seem like he's not as bad as he really is. And I really hope that he does teach him a lesson. So that match between Killian Dane and Drake Maverick was a no contest and it was kind of random out of nowhere because I didn't know they were even beefing but you know so I'm ready for that match to take place and then Santos Escobar came out with Legado del Fantasma and he fought Tyler Breeze but he told um, Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza to stay in the back as they fought each other so the champion, the cruiserweight champion, took over and taunted Prince Pretty, and Breeze barely escaped the first tip as a fa- um, out of the Phantom Driver, and there was a snap knee and a supermodel kick that Tyler Breeze um, hit on Escobar, but Breeze had gone for the cover. But the remaining members took it upon themselves to interfere anyway. So the distraction allowed Escobar to hit the Phantom Driver for the win. And then afterward, they beat him up. They beat up um, Tyler Breeze until Fandango came out to try to fight him off with one arm. (laughs) But he couldn't really do much. But then he did just enough to have Isaiah Swerve Scott to come out and stop Legato Del Fantasma from beating all three of them up. So... I feel like Swerve versus Escobar for the Cruiserweight title will be interesting. And they haven't really announced that this match was supposed to take place at SummerSlam or or um, TakeOver 30. But I still feel like that's going to be an interesting feud to, you know, hold us over into that. So then we had a match between Damian Priest and Bronson Reed. 
And Damian Priest was just kind of overconfident because he was just underestimating Bronson Reed because he thought that Bronson got into their NXT North American ladder match, luckily. But Bronson Reed, you know, showed and overpowered the Archer of Infamy and he sent him to the floor to regroup. And they just kept beating on each other over and over again. But then there was also a point where Tamian Priest had thrown Reed into the steel steps and then he took over and he hit a falcon arrow for a near fall. But the challenger, you know, fought through the pain and Bronson Reed missed the tsunami, but he managed to catch Damian Priest with a jackknife pin for the one, two, three. And it was just great to see them fight. So now they're going to have more of a motivation to kill each other in their ladder match for the NXT North American title. So that's going to be really cool. So on to the notorious match that took place. You had the NXT North American Championship qualifying triple threat match between Kushida, Cameron Grimes, and a returning Velveteen Dream. And I want to start off by saying that on my Twitter account, I was expressing my happiness in seeing the Velveteen Dream, but I realized afterward that that was maybe premature because as I looked, I saw a lot of my fellow fans upset at the idea that he had returned um, about two months after everything popped off with all of his accusations. And I want to discuss the fact that even though everyone has a valid reason to be upset that he has returned um, after his defeat by Adam Cole at NXT TakeOver In Your House and he's had some personal stuff go on it's just I can't really say that it was wrong for WWE to bring him back because as far as we know they may have looked into those accusations and they were proved to be unfounded um because with the speaking out movement that took place earlier this summer it's just a lot of the people who were exposed in that were either fired or just were were fired and completely let go of from the company as a whole and i'm pretty sure wwe being a publicly traded company would not in this day and age bring back someone who possibly you know violated children or violated adults or in that way shape or form um so i'm just speaking about this from my perspective i'm not saying that any fans have the right to not be upset that he's back because even i was feeling some type of way about him you know once those accusations came out but i was also hoping that it wasn't going to be true i was hoping that he that he wasn't participating in any illicit behavior that would stop him from rising as a wrestler you know as a star um but i can't say that i wasn't happy to see him so i was but i'm taking it also with a grain of salt because I don't know exactly what went on in that investigation that WWE may have or may not have done. But I also can't sit here and say that I would think that a publicly traded company would bring someone back at the risk of knowing that they may have done something illicit. And considering they offered consequences to those who did participate in something illicit and, you know, fired them, I would hope that they did what was actually best in that situation. So... Velveteen Dream didn't win this match. <laughs> I said all that to say, you know, to get to this point. Um, Velveteen Dream did not win this match. So, as it turns out, Cameron Grimes wound up winning, which kind of irritated me because I don't like him. Um, and I would have preferred it if Kushida had won because he really hasn't done a whole lot as of late i don't know if he's been injured lately or what but he just hasn't really done a whole lot as of late and i would have preferred it if somebody like him who really hasn't had that many opportunities at titles like that to actually go forward and win that if velveteen dream wasn't going to win you know it probably would have gone better to him but then cameron grimes has been working hard so i can't really take that away from him either just because i don't like his character so cameron grimes qualified for the north american um title ladder match at nxt takeover 30. And that's all that happened on NXT. And now we're going to go to SmackDown.
Okay, so we're gonna go to SmackDown, and this SmackDown was really cool for me because the women were interwoven throughout the entire show, and it was amazing. So the contestants that started in this tri-brand battle royal to determine the number one contender to Bailey SmackDown women's title was the Iconics Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox from NXT, and I loved how Tegan Knox had her original Captain Marvel suit. Um, that was really cute. Um, Lacey Evans, Naomi, um, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, Shayna Baszler, Bianca Belair, Nikki Cross, Dana Brooke, and Tamina Snuka. So, this battle royal went as how you can expect a battle royal to go. Everybody's, you know, scrambling to beat someone up and throw them over the top rope. Something that I found really interesting was the fact that Lacey Evans eliminated Naomi very quickly and Naomi was out there with really awesome hair but um she eliminated her really quickly with a woman's right which upset me because I'm just like girl bye um <laughs> and then another amazing moment was Bianca Belair here again showing her sheer strength she like gave a spear to Tamina Snuka who isn't hard to knock down and she picked her up and threw her over the top rope and it was amazing because I'm just like, girl, how are you able to pick up somebody who's that strong? And this is where my dad was looking at the screen and he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to pack everything up and leave my house because that was too much. <laughs> and I was just like, daddy, I told her she's strong. I told you she's strong. And she got eliminated, which made me sad. And I'm just like, God dang it. No. But thankfully, you know, Shotzi Blackheart eliminated Lacey Evans and then Shayna Baszler wound up, you know, eliminating Shotzi with a Carafuda clutch. And then, um, Tegan Knox wound up eliminating Bianca Belair, which I thought was very interesting. And basically, at this point, it was kind of before we saw that Dana Brooke was still in the match, it was for a second. It was just, it was just Tegan, and then it was Asuka and Baszler. But then Dana Brooke, you know, dragged Knox over the top rope. And um, then it was just left to Asuka and Shayna Baszler. And it kind of weirded me out because I'm just like, so is Shayna Baszler going to win? And she's going to go to go for Bailey. You know, I thought that would have been really interesting. But somehow or another, I guess Shayna Baszler is cursed when it comes to battle royals because she wound up losing to Asuka. So now Asuka is the number one contender for both Sasha and Bayley's Raw and SmackDown women's titles. So are they going for Asuka two belts? And I know there were a lot of people who didn't like that because there are a lot of other women who could have qualified for it, you know, to give a new opportunity. But, you know, to me, I love the idea of seeing people with two belts on their shoulders. So Asuka two belts would be really cool to see. And even if she does only wind up winning one of them, that would still be cool too. But then after it happened... Bailey and Sasha were backstage and they were fussing at each other, you know, because Sasha was trying to, I guess, encourage Bailey, but then Bailey wasn't trying to hear it. And then Bailey was all like, you know what? Forget it because I actually have something important to fight for. And Arrow's like, ooh. And Bailey walked away, you know, from Sasha, but then Oscar wound up attacking both of them you know, from behind and beating them up. But then, you know, of course, producers and referees broke them up. Pat Buck even broke them up. So, oh, it's getting really interesting. And they're still planting those Bailey versus Sasha seeds that I thought they were going to quit. But hey, I guess you can't give up hope anymore. <laughs> so that was interesting. But then Sasha even threw shade earlier, you know, in the week at Bailey, you know, losing. So she has to fight Oscar. So I mean, hey, everybody's shading each other. So cool also with the women you had mandy rose who threw down the gauntlet to sonya deville and challenged her to a hair versus hair match and in this promo she came off very strong and she talked about how everyone you know had underestimated her simply because she was pretty and blonde and because she was a model or and all that other stuff but she says everybody has been saying that about her you know for the longest and she's used to that but she busted her behind and worked hard to make it in wwe and what's so funny is, is that she's actually one of the strongest women WWE has as well. But nobody really alludes to that because, you know, they're so busy, you know, 
showing her as Otis's girlfriend, which I love. And they, you know, show her as, you know, the pretty girl. But she's actually a really good athlete. And I wish they would lean more into that. But at the same time, you know, her hair, you know, she was, you know, making reference to the fact that Sonya Deville cut her hair. So she basically challenged her to a hair versus hair match at SummerSlam. And later on in the show, Sonya Deville, you know, accepted that challenge and she basically said that she was going to look uglier after she shaved bald so that was cool and then you also had the interview that alexa bliss had backstage talking about braun Strowman's, you know ugly turn and she you know wound up at the end of the show she wound up getting dropped you know by braun Strowman, who was basically saying that he didn't care about her anymore you know, in terms of romantically or as a friend and said that she, that she was just using him and stuff. And it was kind of sad because earlier in that interview with Alexa Bliss, they were showing all kinds of clips um, of them being friends together on Team Little Big for the Mixed Match Challenge and how they were insinuating a sort of romantic relationship between the two that never really happened. But it was still interesting to kind of look at. And now it's just gone all straight to heck. So he's enraged and it's just kind of sad so that's really all that happened with the women and also Alexa Bliss seemed like she was hesitant to become friends with Nikki Cross again after Nikki Cross spun out and got angry after losing the Smackdown Women's title um and pushed her which allowed for Alexa Bliss to get kidnapped by the Fiend and right when she was apologizing to her you could tell that Alexa was like you know don't hug me you know I'm not sure about us anymore so yeah it was a very woman-heavy SmackDown, but I enjoyed it. So, to talk about the men, the show started with a match that was supposed to take place between Biggie and John Morrison, but they were interrupted by blinking lights and retribution. And they came out and beat them up and basically kind of tweaked Biggie's knee as he was trying to defend himself. So, as they were backstage, you know, talking with um, Drew Gulak, Shorty G um cesaro and nakamura the smackdown tag team champions he was trying to rally everybody to sort of you know fight and defend themselves against retribution but then king corbin was all like oh who do you think you are you're not the leader and all this other stuff but biggie was not backing down and he told him no we need to do this and we need to do that and every time biggie talks because i think in this promo he was saying i'm you know i may be you know beaten right now but i'm not defeated and all that other stuff i was just like every time he talks he just he just gives me preacher vibes and that's not a bad thing either he because even though you know in his earlier life you know he kind of was you know a youth preacher at some point when he was a kid it's just that every time he talks he just sounds so clear and succinct and he just sounds like a preacher that sounds like he's just trying to rally up your soul and i'm just like yes um <laughs> y'all i'm a christian and i love you know and i just i just love you know stuff like that so it's just like biggie just gives me life um so it was cool and it just seemed like Seamus was also throwing shade at Biggie too you know and it seems like Baron Corbin and Seamus are beefing with everybody it's like Baron Corbin wants to beef with Biggie Baron Corbin wants to beef with Matt Riddle it's like and Seamus wants to beef with Biggie but then he also wants to beef with Jeff Hardy who's also beefing with King Corbin and it's just too much anyway um also with the men you had Shorty G versus Sheamus, and um, this match came because, I guess, you know, Shorty G was battling him because last week, Shorty G cost Sheamus a victory over Matt Riddle, so they were fighting because of that, and Chad Gable was basically, you know, he had the upper hand in the match to a certain degree, but up against somebody like Seamus who's running through everybody at this point except for Jeff Hardy um he delivered the white noise and and then hit him with a bro kick for the win so this match was kind of just out of nowhere but well not really out of nowhere it just kind of you know was really quick and a one and done type of match but it was kind of confusing because Shorty G was kind of playing the baby face well I, won't, I don't want to say he was like a heel baby face in this scenario because he's working for Baron Corbin for the king's ransom thing with matt riddle but then he got beat up by sheamus who's like a mega heel at, at this point so it's kind of hard to see you know 
what Shorty G is in the grand scheme of SmackDown, but I don't know. And then Jeff Hardy challenged AJ Styles for his Intercontinental title after AJ was sort of out there to do some type of math thing with um, some type of with some type of guy who was serving as a numbers cruncher. I don't know. But this guy was actually known as Joseph Park, who made his WWE debut with AJ Styles. And as it turns out, he has a little bit of TNA history because he served he um, served as the character Abyss, who was kind of like a Kane-ish character in TNA from what I was told. So it was kind of interesting to see him, you know, also with, you know, other TNA brethren in AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy. So basically this was AJ Styles saying no one can beat me and no one's worthy enough to challenge me for the Intercontinental title. And Jeff Hardy was like, okay, I'm going to beat you for it. And that's pretty much it. And it was weird because it started off with AJ Styles saying how much he respected him and as a wrestler and as a performer and how he respected, you know, him and his brother Matt as the best tag team, you know, WWE has ever seen. Hardy gang, Hardy gang. But he said that he wasn't going to give him an opportunity at the title because he didn't deserve it. So basically AJ was healing it up. But Jeff, you know, wrote his name on the board and said, you know, I'm next in line. So that's pretty much it. And then there was a match between Grand Metalik and Shinsuke Nakamura. And this match was pretty good. Um, Kalisto made his return um, during this match. And Grand Metalik wound up hitting a top rope elbow for the upset win. So I think now what they're doing is building up Lucha House Party to be an actual foil against Cesaro and Nakamura for the tag team titles in the absence of the New Day. And I think they really deserve this because for a while, you know, they were just, you know, known as just the regular cruiserweights who would just get beat up by the big guys. And now they're sort of building up their credibility. And I'm really looking forward to that. And really, that's all that happened with the men. And then, of course, you had Braun Strowman, like I mentioned earlier, who had his promo with Alexa Bliss. And he's just turned into this dark character. He shaved his head. And now he's just, you know mocking the crap out of Alexa Bliss and Alexa Bliss is like look the least you could do is look at me if you're you know gonna run me down and he wound up you know hitting her and she took that really bad bump and then the fiend came out after the lights went out and then Braun Strowman disappeared and he had the upper hand in the mind game scenario with the fiend and then that's where it ended it ended with you know him with the fiend looking off in the ring and then it ended with the whole let me in thing so that's pretty much all that happened on smackdown and now we're gonna go to the conclusion all right so thank you for listening to the show um if you've made it to this point in the show i just want to thank you for supporting me and listening to me um, I want to send a special shout out to those wrestling girls, Queen PR and Krista B, and also to Face Beat Heels High and their podcast, because they actually had a podcast episode where they collabed together um, this past weekend. And it was really cool. It was a great discussion. And I appreciate the love that they gave me when I did, you know, pop in on their little um thread their comment thread i always love getting love from fellow wrestling podcasters because i'm a new baby in this world and it just means the world to me to know that i actually create content that other people are actually feeling so if you are feeling my content please like share and subscribe um on my youtube channel hardy wrestling with stephanie hardy you can also follow me on instagram at hardy wrestling podcast and you can follow me on twitter at hardy WrestlePod. Um, and you can also follow me on Facebook at Hardy Wrestling Podcast as well. Um, thank you so much for your support. I hope that I can continue to give you, you know, amazing content 
Now, for next week's episode, I will be doing an interview with a local independent wrestler who's from my neck of the woods, um, Birmingham, Alabama, named Judah Jacobs. And we're going to be talking about his run as a champion and what his hopes and dreams are as a as a budding wrestler. And of course, I got your regular news and gossip-ish, and I got your weekly recaps. So just tune in for the next episode and continue to support and love me and my show. And... If there's any questions you want to ask me about anything going on in wrestling or anything you see in pop culture that has to do with wrestling, don't hesitate to message me on Facebook or ask me some questions. Or if there's any videos you want to show me, you know, send those to me as well. But, you know, just support the brand, support the show continuously, continue to listen and just, you know, show me that love. And if I'm offering you chill, positive and passionate vibes in your life, then continue to listen. So I thank you so much. And this has been another episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. Until next time, continue to live your best lives and, you know, stay safe. And until next time, bye, y'all.